Welcome to Digitalization Tech Talks, the podcast where we're focusing on topics related to digital technologies in the process industries. Our intent is to present you with information that will help keep you up to speed with the latest technologies that are soon coming or have already reached the market. These are technologies that are finding their way to the plant floor and can contribute to some key areas of interest, such as more efficient operations or improved uptime or less waste. And today's episode is about another topic that is front of mind for just about every company and, in fact, most individuals in 2023, sustainability. In this episode, we'll delve into energy sustainability. And speaking of energy, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Jonas Narinder, and inquire about his energy level. Hello, Jonas. Are you energized for today's conversation? Yes, Dan, I definitely am. I'm very excited that we're having our first episode around sustainability, which is a Great topic. It's a topic that you and I have been wanting to cover on this show for quite some time now. So it's really great that we have found some two fantastic guests who can talk about it from a a big picture perspective, but also from a rubber meets the road perspective. So it's really great. I'm looking forward to this episode. Well, great. Well, we're definitely going to cover from the overall energy sustainability perspective, and then hopefully we'll dive in and get some great examples as well. And I don't think I can sustain my enthusiasm any longer. So as you mentioned, we do have two guests joining us today, so let's go ahead and bring them on. Both are with Siemens Gas Chromatographs and Integration Team. George Thomas is Director of Global Sales and Strategic Support, and Al Kanya is a Global Business Development Manager. Welcome to the show, George and Al. Thank you, Don and Jonas. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here also. So, George, how about if we start with you and and maybe start with a definition? Let's start out with what is energy sustainability? And and, and maybe you can also cover why is it important today? In simple terms, sustainability is about fulfilling today's needs without compromising the needs of tomorrow. So I think as a society, we've become increasingly aware, more so in recent years, that our consumption patterns and, and, and about how that affects the ecosystem around us. And what I mean by that is specifically the life cycle impact of those products we consume. So really, it's about a balance between economic growth, which is consumption, and the environmental care, which is the impact of consumption. So as you said, Don, sustainability definitely is a hot topic today. It's increasingly being discussed in political, social, uh, even corporate and economic settings these days. And I'd like to give you an example especially if you want to go look at any corporate website or even a Siemens website, you can clearly see commitment to sustainability and also how that manifests in the portfolio. For instance, at Siemens, you can see our portfolio around efficient factories, smart cities, clean transportation. And this is really a testament that companies are adapting their portfolio to serve sustainability markets. But now let's just come back and focus specifically on the energy sustainability piece. And for energy, from a consumption standpoint, it's a basic human need. It's needed to advance global prosperity. And and it has to be adequate, reliable, and affordable. So energy sustainability is about meeting that demand while reducing the damage we create on the environment. And the other follow-up question you asked me was on the importance of this topic today. And I would go back to the last podcast where Laura Coates actually talked about the ARC forum. And she also talked about the theme. And it was around digitalization 
and how that can help drive sustainability and energy transition right on spot with the podcast theme here. We also had one of the most recognized international energy conferences in Houston last month, and it's called Sarah Week. And the focus was on energy, climate, and security. And the third example I can give is the World Economic Forum, which is an international organization. It engages leaders from across the board. And there were several topics dedicated to sustainability, climate change, and related topics. What I want to go with this is to say that it's such a very important and relevant topic today, and that we can see from regional discussions through industry discussions, as well as global discussions. So one area that I think has received some focus in recent years is how some of the big energy companies, they're responding to the shift in priorities and going towards the higher focus on sustainability. Now, due to the nature of what they're doing, they're obviously very fossil fuel heavy. What do you think about the way that they've responded to this almost market-driven demand for them to change? That's interesting you say, Jonas. Uh, Energy companies in the past, or traditionally, they were very synonymous uh, to oil companies. And that was because of the percentage of oil and gas as a fuel source in the energy system itself. So you can always say an oil company is an energy company. However, today we are seeing that change, and that started with the with the signing off of the Paris Climate Accord, and also very clear changes to energy policies. And some policies are restrictive, some policies are accommodative, and these almost steer these companies towards net zero compliance. And one example I can use is how the U.S. government is actually incentivizing fossil fuel companies to actually change by the Inflation Reduction Act, which is probably the greatest investments uh, which the U.S. government is actually putting in to battle climate change. Having said that, I think we should not forget oil still continues to play a very important role in the energy system, despite the headwinds. A lot of people tell me, okay, there's a lot of demand drop these days, you know, road transportation, electrified cars, power system moving towards wind and solar. What's that going to do the oil and gas? My view is oil and gas will still have a very dominant play in the energy system, and we must continue to work with hydrocarbons, at least for the foreseeable future. And in terms of response, you asked me, how are the energy companies responding? They're looking at net zero and looking at two ways to address it. The the first way is uh, they're looking at decarbonizing their operations, meaning they run as usual, no change, but then they clean up at the back end. And that's really what decarbonizing is about. The second avenue is they can completely change course and transition to completely carbon-free sources. And that's another approach towards net zero as well. And if you look at the market, and you'll see clearly those differences highlighted in U.S. companies, mainly towards decarbonization, and you look at European companies, and they're transitioning more to renewables. However, there's one area where these two seem to agree on, and that is the area of sustainable fuels, waste fuels, and biofuels. And we'll talk a little more about that uh, going forward. Yeah, thanks, George. That that sounds like a heck of a lot to manage. How is all of this being managed? Are there certain KPIs that can be monitored to help gauge progress? Let's look at using a carrot and a stick analogy. If the carrot is the incentive, which we talked about, the Inflation Reduction Act, 
the stick or the KPI is ESG. ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. And what that is, is it's essentially a framework to understand how an organization navigates these three sustainability pillars that we talked about. It also evaluates how well an organization is taking into account their ESG responsibilities while they conduct their daily business activities. And there's a score being assigned to it. For example, it could be, let's say, they want to measure how well your company is tackling waste reduction or how well is your company managing carbon footprint. There are 20 odd categories which is actually scored and there's an ESG score which is assigned to a company. So if you want to go look at a specific company, let's say Siemens, you could find a specific ESG score tied to it. Coming to energy, there's another dynamic at play here because energy projects uh, tend to be very capital intensive and they need market participation uh, in terms of investment to to fund their projects. And and Wall Street has looked at ESG uh, to cater to, let's say, a socially conscious investor, to give them the opportunity to screen their investments in terms of how they are doing, in terms of ESG compliance, so that they can gauge the company's behaviors and policies towards the environment. So it can be used as a benchmark against their competitors, or it can also be used to compare, let's say, across industries. And I can give one example. Let's say you are going to buy a stock in a utility company and and you want to know how they actually generate their power. Are they doing gas turbines, which could be a fossil fuel based generation, or are they using wind turbines, which could be a completely renewable uh, kind of power generation? So as an investor, you can decide to invest in company A or company B based on their source of fuel. So really, this is a way to measure as well as pressure companies to go a certain direction. I just want to touch on one other metric, which is very important, which is the actual amount of dollars being allocated towards renewable technology projects. So if you've been looking at the last few years, you can see there's been a lot of growth in in this area. But for the first time in 2022, companies have spent more money on renewable energy projects than on traditional energy projects. And I believe this will continue to grow and mature and develop uh, as the economies of scale catch up. So I'm really excited to hear that that's the direction that we're going in. I want to talk a little bit more about the way that energy companies are investing their capital investments going forward. And I'm particularly curious about the type of alternate fuels they're investing in. Could you talk about that a little bit more, George? Sure. As as we transition towards a net zero world, right? Customers are exploring multiple avenues. So there's no one answer, Jonas. You know, there's multiple answers here. For instance, you know, number one, they could continue to produce fossil fuels the way they are, but clean up at the back end, right? This is when technologies like carbon capture or direct air air capture comes into play, where they're saying we will do business as usual, but we'll clean up after the fact. The second approach is, you know, they can switch to, let's say, much cleaner hydrocarbons. For instance, LNG is a great example. It has much lower emissions, so customers can still continue to go the route of fossil fuels, but with a a lesser or a cleaner hydrocarbon. 
Uh, the third one could be to augment your current fossil fuels with some kind of alternate fuel sources, and that would be something like biogas or biodiesel, which becomes really an additive to your product. And the last option would be to completely take an abort turn and go renewable fuels altogether, which would be completely carbon-free. It would be like hydrogen, solar, or waste fuel, for instance, using biomass as, as feedstock, for instance. And, and as I've been thinking about it, you know, I found it very interesting that you look at this energy circle. I think we've come one full round. And that's because we started as humans uh, using wood as a fuel brief fossil fuel days. And here we are now back to 2023. We are looking at using wood chips as feedstock uh, for sustainable fuel generation. So we've come one full circle on energy. Yeah, George, that is interesting that we've worked our way back to again using biomass as a key feedstock. I haven't really thought about that before. And, and I guess at this point, what I'd like to do is transition to Al and ask Al a few questions. So Al, why don't we start with, can you provide some examples of emerging sustainable energy initiatives? Yeah, I'd love to. As George was mentioning, there's a lot of activity. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot all over the US, all over Europe, all over the world, where the entire global energy sector is really undergoing a transformation as it pivots to adopt renewable and environmentally friendly energy technologies. Many of these technology initiatives involve using some type of renewable biological source, such as waste soybean oil, uh, cooking oils, fats, wood chips, all these waste products can now act as a feedstock to become chemically converted in some type of sustainable fuel and either become like natural gas or fuel oil or jet fuel. And this is also uh, occurring in other areas such as renewable technology initiatives that are focusing on ways to improve how hydrogen is produced because there's also a lot of activity in using hydrogen itself as a fuel but also hydrogen as a chemical is used in a lot of chemical processes, such as the steel mill, other metallurgy industry. So if there's a way to produce hydrogen cleaner, uh, there's a lot of value there. While it's very exciting to see all of this new technology being developed, but due to the emergent nature of many of these brand new green energy initiatives, there's a lot of different technologies being considered. For example, we've seen a lot of effort to develop viable renewable natural gas, often by digestion of waste from farm animals into methane gas that can then be purified into usable natural gas. So that's why you'll often hear the term renewable natural gas, where again, we try to take something that would normally have been a waste product, livestock waste, and turning it into usable natural gas. There's also a lot of activity now in how to come up with new sustainable fuels. One example is biodiesel that is produced in existing refineries. The way they do this is they treat waste oil, such as from soybean oil or the cooking oils that are left over from restaurants. There's tremendous amounts of this oil. Well, this actually can be processed in a refinery, and this biodiesel can then be used by trucks and other vehicles without having to make any change to the vehicle itself. Another example is that also a very active area in sustainable aviation fuel. And you often will hear this referred to as SAF. And again, there's just some amazing innovative technologies where folks are taking 
like say waste sugar cane or wood chips from uh, furniture uh, factories or other lumber mills. And they're able to ferment that into methanol and the methanol then can be chemically converted into aviation fuel or other types of uh, fuels. And it's directly usable by today's uh, commercial aircraft. And you even see uh, news articles every now and then, like someone like United Airlines using uh, aviation fuel. And so one constant between all these projects is the need to have a reliable and process analytical measurements, because it's important for these companies as they're trying to confirm if the project itself is being scaled up properly, they need to know, is the plant operating the way they think they do? And so that's actually become a a very important part for our part of the company. So I think it's really amazing also, like you mentioned, Alan, to see the number of waste products that can be turned into fuels these days. I I really want to say that technology has come really, really far, which is exciting to see. Now, why don't you tell our listeners more about process analytics and how this technology can help users validate process designs? Because I know that's an important part of what we're doing. Yeah, and that's that's correct, because it's one thing to operate things on small scale in a pilot plant in an R&D facility, and it's quite another to try to scale that up. And so what process chemical analyzers do is they actually install inside the plant itself, tapping into the pipelines as the chemicals are flowing from one place to another, and they provide real-time chemical analysis feedback on what exactly is happening in that part of the plant, especially from a chemistry standpoint. And this is critical as many of these processes, again, as I'm sailing, are scaling up. And so as you move to these higher levels of operation, sometimes the chemical reactions are slightly different or perhaps the purification of the impurities is not going quite the way you thought. And of course, the final product needs to be measured to make sure it actually will meet the specifications so they can be used in a truck or a car or an aircraft. Since many of these processes are new, finding the process chemical analyzer that has the technology and the flexibility to perform these measurements can be challenging because oftentimes they don't know exactly what might be present there. Fortunately, there's a lot of technologies out there for process chemical analysis, and specifically one that's been very popular recently. It's very flexible. It's uh, called process gas chromatographs. And these types of chemical analyzers have the flexibility to measure any component at nearly any concentration without the fear of cross-interference errors. And so this becomes critical for the plant operators so they can have the trust in the measurement values that they're seeing at the various stages of the chemical processing and purification. But that's also not to say that there are not a lot of other technologies out there that are used. Those include things like infrared spectrometers, oxygen analyzers, and of course, environmental emission monitoring systems, because there's often boilers and other steam generation facilities. All these process chemical analyzers provide the data that the plant needs to fine tune their plants to make sure they're operating the way they are expecting. Well, it sounds like a lot of a lot of options out there for the for the process industries to consider. Let's talk a little bit about digitalization and where it fits into this. Does digitalization play a role in assisting users with this validation process? Yes, very much so. Because what you're finding is there's a lot of data that's coming in, not just from the process chemical analysis information, which is key, but also temperatures and pressures and flows. And whereas in traditional plants, you would know which 
components to measure, and those would be the important ones to know that would then impact other parts of the plant. But since these are new facilities, what digitalization does, it provides a way of bringing all of this information from the process chemical analyzers, including maintenance reports, calibration information, analyzer reliability KPIs, all of this. And this information then can be distilled down to simple dashboard displays. That way, the operators of the, of the units can quickly identify, are there any issues with the data that's coming from the instruments? And then from that dashboard, if there are issues, the user then can drill down to identify the root cause of the issue. You know, the simple green, yellow, and red type of displays that you see on many uh, digitalization dashboards. The nice thing about the dashboard concept is it provides one common look and feel for all the process chemical analyzers of all process types, of all technology types, and of all manufacturers. And this has become pretty important for these new facilities because the, many of these plants don't have experienced technicians, especially with process analyzers. So have something there that will help filter the information and provide a common look and feel has been quite helpful for a lot of these new facilities that we've seen. Digitalization also allows the ability to set up automatic, what they call rules-based logic, where the software can continually track the chemical data KPIs constantly in the background, comparing them against certain uh, limit alarms. And when a situation occurs that actually needs user intervention, it can change the status on the dashboard or even send a message. What this does is it reduces the time burden on the technicians so they can focus on the issues that are generally needed at that moment and only be brought into situations when it actually requires their experience. And then finally, a, another powerful feature of digitalization is the automatic collection of performance KPIs. Because again, you have to remember all of these facilities are brand new, often the first time they've been built in the world. And so it provides them the information so they can identify if the analyzers they've chosen are the right choice for that measurement. Uh, are they providing the availability they are expecting? Are they easy to repair? Do they spend a lot of time down? Do they have the accuracy and precision that they are expecting? Because again, prior to that plant being built, there has been no data in the past. So KPIs and the reporting of those KPIs is providing quite a bit of helpful information back to these customers. Having this scale of information in a consistent format for all of their analyzers is a huge benefit. I really like it. Those are some great examples of how technology makes it possible for people to do their jobs better, to help them focus on the things that are important. So I, I really like it. Good to hear. I'm curious, though, are there some other roles where digitalization can play an important role in supporting this emerging process technology? Uh, yes. Matter of fact, one interesting role that we've seen for digitalization has been in assisting in enterprise-level connectivity between plants and companies' central engineering or research centers. Many of these new facilities are spread around the country, often in very remote locations. For example, no one wants to transport livestock manure very far for renewable natural gas. So making these process analysis data at the plant level means it's also possible to provide this data to central company locations. And so these new sustainable technologies, as they're being developed in various locations, 
the performance of those plants can easily be tracked uh, even from central locations where the engineering technology expertise may be. And if there is an issue, the necessary data is easily accessible from their desk, regardless of where it is around the country or even around the world. And of all, of course, all of this connectivity is done in a safe and secure manner based on each of the user's internal cybersecurity protocols. Oh, well, safely and securely collecting and accessing data in geographically separated locations is an important element of digitalization for sure. Before we close, I'd like to ask both of you, do you have any final comments that you'd like to add? George, do you want to go first? Sure. I, I'd just like to add that with all the emerging technologies which Al touched on, we will definitely see the energy mix tomorrow being vastly different than it is today. But I'll also say that the true test for any emerging technology is not on the drawing board. If it can be scaled up to be adequate, reliable, and affordable, that's what will prove it. I'm sure there'll be multiple sources going to the future, and it will not be dominated by one like we have today. And for me, that's similar to what I find very exciting about all of this. There are so many different approaches, so many different ways of turning what normally have been a waste material into a renewable, sustainable, usable fuel moving forward. And everything's moving from the drawing board to real world production facilities right now. It's happening now all over the world. And through digitalization, it's proving to be a key tool in moving these technologies forward at tremendous speed. It's just amazing. Well, thanks, George and Al, for those final remarks and, and really for all of the insights you provided today and, and for being our guests on the podcast. And, and that brings us to the end of this episode. If you, our listeners, have any questions about any of the topics we discussed today or would like to engage with our guests further, please feel free to email George or Al directly. Their email addresses are included in the show notes. And Jonas and I are always open to your comments, thoughts, and feedback on the show or the topics. You can also find our contact information in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. If you liked what you heard today, please help to spread the word by rating the show. And if you are not already a subscriber and would like to be notified when new episodes are released, please subscribe to the series. Thank you for listening to this episode of Digitalization Tech Talks. <laughs>